Uh, hey, this is Ross Payton with Roleplaying Public Radio. I'm here interviewing uh, Dustin Depenning, uh, the author of Synthesize, a new roleplaying game, uh, sci-fi roleplaying game uh, that is out uh, in PDF and will be in print this year. Um, and are you going to be at any particular conventions, or do you know yet, Dustin? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to be unfortunately missing OrcCon coming up in Los Angeles, but I'll hit the uh, following two strategic cons in LA, mm-hmm. and then I'm definitely going to be at Gen Con. Ah, Gen Con, we will be at Gen Con as well. So, uh, gotta <laughs> we're currently coordinating our travel plans, uh, you know, to caravan up there and get hotels. So that's always fun. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about Synthesize. It is a sci-fi role-playing game. Uh, the tagline is when robots are gods, killing humans is fair game. Uh, it's got great art. Uh, I really do appreciate just looking at the PDF initially is my first impression. Um, can you tell us like the origin of where you came up with the idea and how you, uh, and your game design background? Uh, sure. Is this your first game. Uh, this is my first role-playing game, not my first game though. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And by the way, I apologize for any sirens you can hear in the background. I live by a really busy street with very thin walls. Okay. So. Well, it's 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 a dark role playing game, so I mean, it just kind of adds to the ambiance of uh, that. Um, I would imagine. So, anyways, yeah. Please go. Ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, as far as my uh, game design background, I started out uh, as an intern at Hasbro Games, working in their mass market games department. And, you know, I worked on a lot of, uh, you know, Battleship products and Connect4 products. And, you know, a lot of the, like, dirt, simple, high-volume gaming. That's kind of the antithesis of what a role-playing game is. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of the people working on that as part of his job was Craig Vaness, who uh, did uh, uh, HeroScape, that miniature battle game. And, you know, he's really big into, like, you know, heavy board games and role-playing games and all that. And... I had always played like Dungeons and Dragons and Magic and Warhammer, you know, growing up. So even though I was designing simple games, I still had a huge passion for the hobby market and role-playing games in particular. And so kind of uh, working with Craig and playing games with Craig, eventually we ended up making a, a strategy game called Battleship Galaxies. It was supposed to be like a follow-up to HeroScape with tons of expandable options and huge fleet builds and all this stuff. Uh, so we got to cut our teeth on, you know, designing tons of different units and powers and things like that. And then when the game finally got published, um, the company decided to strip it down to a standalone product where, you know, you didn't really have enough depth to really uh, build a customized fleet or anything, unfortunately. But uh, that was uh, where I got to cut my teeth designing um, a more in-depth game. And it was, uh, you know, as much fun as I thought it would be. And I had, you know, always tooled around with game ideas on the side, like um, mostly writing campaign settings for, like, uh, D20 games or um, making custom rule rule sets to modify them. And uh, so, you know, I'd always played with it, but I'd never really uh, brought a heavy game to market before that. So that's what got me really excited. And then I also uh, got to help play test with, like, Risk Legacy, um, with Rob Davio and, you know, seeing his success and him rock, rock it off into the hobby game market was also uh, really motivating. So it was just kind of like, you know, hey, maybe this is something I could do. Maybe I should give it a try. So I decided to go into the uh, most awesome yet smallest <laughs> uh, hobby game market there is. <laughs> uh, yeah, tabletop roleplay games are certainly a uh, smaller than card games and board games. Um, so... What so you you decided to just uh, go you know uh, did you quit your job at Hasbro then or uh, are you still well, working there? Uh, no, I I work at another uh, mass market board game company doing like children's board games still. Oh. So that's still that's still my primary job. I uh, last year had to write, make a bunch of bit, uh, Disney board games and <laughs> stuff like that. And uh, so, um, but uh, the new company I'm at has a looser policy about, you know, competing. And mm-hmm. so they didn't see me working on a role-playing game as competition. So they were like, oh, you can work on that. So um, I had had an idea for Synthesize in college. I built the core uh, system where I just wanted a dirt simple uh, rollover system, kind of OSR inspired, but I wanted to uh, use my own stats that were more descriptive than the classic, you know, strength decks 
and wisdom that you know that, uh, stats that had more to do with what characters are actually accomplishing rather than abstract qualities of what they might be good at. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's kind of where I started was just you know pure attribute attribute as skills rollover type design. And then um, I came up with this really intricate story for this world I was really excited about. And then I had to shelve the project for a few years while I was working at Hasbro because they're like, hey, we own Wizards and Wizards makes D&D, so we see you doing this as competitive, so no, 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 don't do it. Okay. So, yeah. So tell, so tell us uh, uh, about Synthesize. What, what is uh, Synthesize uh, about? So it's about a future that's sort of like post-war. There's been this horrific war that wiped out the center of the galaxy, and the only people with enough power and knowledge enough to reclaim civilization is this tech cult. Um, they uh, manage to escape the war and escape the chaos. And uh, they're kind of going around, uh, you know, all the barbaric worlds where people have, you know, forgotten, you know, interstellar travel or uh, still remember it, but, you know, can't quite, you know, build ships capable of it and stuff like that. And they started, you know, kind of restructuring society as they saw fit. And um, since they're a tech cult, they don't really care about the humanities. They don't care about people. They really only care about their uh, developments and their research and their automaton creations. So they actually uh, don't enforce any law and order, uh, really. They don't care if you kill a person that's you know, if they were even to care, or it's just that you killed the wrong person, not that you killed a person. And, um, but they, uh, think synthetic beings, you know, robots are in the image of their God. So killing a robot is like one of the highest crimes you can commit, which is why the game is called Synthesize. Okay. Uh, so why do the, so why do the player, or is it just the robots are because they're protected by this cult or going around killing everybody? Uh, making trouble or well it uh, really comes down to the fact that um, the players are in such a broken society of like haves and have nots that Mm -hmm. they have to do um, if they want to be independent and want to be strong they might take on the role of transient dirty workers Mm -hmm. and uh, you know any important situation you know be it political or economic it's going to probably involve you know the the tech cult, which is called the Tharnaxis Church, and is going to involve probably some synthetics. And, you know, murder for hire is really common, and uh, being paid to murder a synthetic pays the most because, uh, you know, that's about the only murder that's still illegal. <laughs> uh, illegal, yeah, yeah. So that that makes sense. I mean, um, the the most dangerous work is the most profitable. So the, it, it, it kind of a uh, space opera... Uh, meet cyberpunk kind of feel because you know you have this massive setting right there's faster than light travel yes yeah so yeah um it it, yeah it it sounds like a good setup uh for it so um what what you you you're describing the system as having a simple sort of rollover uh rollover target number and looking at the character creation section right now uh the attributes are kind of seem to be a combination of skills and what other games would call attributes, you know, like there's a combat attribute, uh, an operation attribute, which represents their technical aptitude for hacking and fixing, repairing equipment and that kind of thing. Um, so that, that kind of simplifies, um, at, right. Yeah. Uh, actions. Cause you don't have a large, you know, a lot of these sci-fi games, especially tend to have very long skill lists and things that kind of bog down what a character can and can't do. So, right. So what I decided to do was um, try to roll up the majority of common actions into the attributes themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, toughness just represents your physical prowess. So anything that has to do with physical prowess, you roll toughness. Um, doesn't matter if it's swimming or climbing or jumping or whatever. It's just, you know, it's a toughness check. Um and then, uh, you know, being good at hurting people it matters. Describing that you're good at hurting people matters, not necessarily how you're good at hurting people. It doesn't matter if you're a dexterous fighter or a strength-based fighter. It's just the fact that you're really good at hurting people. So that's why I made the combat attribute. So it just describes how lethal your character is. Um, and, yeah, uh, Operation was my attempt to keep the system uh, simple and attribute-based but still have a catch-all for highly technical stuff because 
you know, the one area where it can, you, you know, you don't want to oversimplify is things like science, technology, hacking, crafting, those sorts of things. Um, so I did roll them all up under one attribute, but um, my solve for it was this concept of uh, like training, like um, knowledge focuses is what they're called. Mm-hmm. And the idea is um, your character is super uneducated. <laughs> so while you can attempt just about anything, especially you know with the more physically uh, oriented attributes like uh, toughness and speed, like, oh, I'm fast, oh, I'm tough. Um, when it comes to mental tasks, uh, you can't really do anything other than basic stuff. Uh, so if you want to hack a computer, you need to specifically have a power that says, I know how to hack a computer. Um, so what you, what characters do is they unlock powers like um, they get the computer knowledge area and select the uh, hacking you know, talent. So mm-hmm. now they can use their operation uh, attribute to hack into computers. And then, you know, there's, you know, more specific powers like, you know, interacting with, you know, are you able to interact with the systems uh, once you get through the security? Like, are you able to, you know, you know, mess with, you know, life support, stuff like that? Or um, how good are you at dodging uh, security once you're in the system? Um, So, yeah, like real, real specific, intricate things um, that would require specialized knowledge or just you just buy a power that says you know how to do that and then from now on you use your attri- uh, your uh, operation attribute uh, whenever you need to roll to see if you can do it I see um, that's not yeah so the talents seem to be more like like a, like a feats or something like that in another game uh, characters would not have like a l- large amount of them uh, or at least especially at the beginning maybe like uh, what would the average number of talents be uh, so, um, for all talents, including like um, you know special combat talents and yeah. uh, things like that, uh, characters will typically start off with uh, three or four talents, mm-hmm. and um, uh, like a really heavy knowledge focused character, I think maxes out at uh, you know I could look it up in the book, but I think I think it's around five or six. So they could start with five or six uh, knowledge talents that they know. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, I use the term traits uh, to describe them uh, rather than talent. So I'll just try to s- stick to my own nomenclature. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fair. Uh, so yeah, okay. So the char- so um, characters can still special or can still distinguish themselves from one another uh, without having to spend too much time going through you know long skill lists or anything. Um, you also mentioned earlier when in our sort of earlier uh, discussion that there are some other things you make set the system apart like some uh uh the battle system uh yeah yeah because combat obviously this game it sounds like there's gonna be a lot of fighting in it if especially if you're you know trying to murder synthetics uh <laughs> for a paycheck yeah. yeah uh so uh the there's a few things i did is i uh started off where i wanted to make each turn um like deciding how like which actions to take interesting um because you know in a lot of role-playing games, they give you essentially a major action and a minor action. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm going to take uh, this major action and this minor action, and that's my turn. Um, and, you know, that can be interesting if you have, you know, a, you know, several major actions or, you know, several important minor actions, so you have to consider which ones to choose. But um, there's not, like, a lot of granularity to deciding how you break up your turn. Um, so what I decided to do was go with a point-based system where every turn you get so many points, and in the book there is a table of combat actions that you can look at on one page, and uh, it tells you what all the actions you can take are and how many points each action costs. So that way you can uh, decide, oh, am I going to uh, move a bunch and attack once? Mm-hmm. Um, am I going to break my movement up, like move, then attack, then move again? Um, am I going to... Uh, uh, take aim first to make sure my attack has a higher chance of hitting and then spend my whole turn aiming and attacking? Uh, Am I going to uh, not move at all and spend my whole turn just doing as many attacks as I possibly can? Uh, Am I going to throw away, like, an extra point I have left over to uh, take better cover behind something by defending myself? So there's kind of, like, these little interesting ideas where you decide the economy of actions you want to spend and you'll have varying amounts and... um, this is one of the reasons to be a fast character is uh, the faster you are, the more actions you get. 
So you take uh, uh, all these actions on your turn. So you you know if you have like eight uh, action points. Uh, you you spend them all, and then the enemy spends all their. Uh, or do you do that, or is that kind of broken up? Uh, uh, it's it's you spend it all on your turn. I know like some systems where they have the uh, the multiple sweeps, like Shadowrun. You know where you know you do the first rotation and then the second rotation, and I know people can get a big kick out of that. But yeah. I uh, w- wanted the game to be a, on a little more on the simpler side. Like the most complicated thing in the game is the ta- is the table of uh, actions and how much points they cost and everything else is just designed to be as direct and simple as possible. Okay. Has um, that uh, in terms of playtesting it? Um, how was that received? Has that changed a lot since your? Was that kind of your initial idea, or has, has that changed? Yeah. Or, yeah. That, that that's how I started. Um, it actually came from I was designing a D twenty spaceship spaceship combat system. Mm-hmm. Um, way back in the day, because uh, I didn't like the one in T Twenty Future, yeah, uh, which which is what I was like playing with some friends at the time, because um, you know we hadn't discovered the wonder of non D Twenty based RPGs yet. It's amazing and, how many how many games are ha- have been inspired because of the 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 faults in the D Twenty era of uh, uh, third party games or uh, or just uh, the D Twenty uh, era in general. You're like I I was playing D Twenty, I just couldn't do something I wanted, and then uh, so I did this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, so uh, and I, you know, the whole major action, minor action system didn't make sense to me, and I felt like in order to have more tactical and intricate choices, you know, I needed again more granularity. Where, uh, you know, this action costs one point, this action costs two points, this action costs three points, and you only have three to six points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so that is what led to designing, you know, just a um, player level, you know, mono a mono combat system around that. And in playtesting, um, you know, the main thing that was discovered was being fast is rad <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, way too good. Um, so I had to take steps to uh, reduce the ramp of how quickly faster characters gain more actions. Um, I basically, you know, halved the amount of actions that they can get, um, increasing the expense of repeatable actions. So that way, you know, oh, I have four action points. I can attack four times. Well, no, not quite, um, you know, because your first attack is one point, your second attack is two points, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and then uh, I'd say the uh, people wrap their head around the point-based uh, fighting really quickly, especially when they would have a, the cheat sheet. You know, I have this mm-hmm. battle reference sheet you can download that just uh, has the table of uh, actions and a really simple explanation of the actions. Um, but uh, so people wrap their heads around that really quickly. But what I discovered was people wanted um, complex maneuvers. They wanted to be able to do really cool things and they wanted to be able to do them right away. They didn't want to have to buy a power to be able to do it. And um, so that was like the main thing that came out in playtesting. And, you know, they wanted to be able to leverage tactical advantage. And so then, you know, I decided I didn't want to uh, write a whole chapter of situational penalties and bonuses, um, you know, like some games do. And uh, I was inspired a little more by the way games like Fate operate. So I decided, you know, yeah, I'm doing crunchy grid-based combat, but that doesn't mean I have to do um, crunchy, you know, maneuvers and actions. So what I did is I developed this uh, catch-all action called Gain Advantage. Mm-hmm. And that's the um, kind of the, the bread and butter of, you know, doing fun and interesting things in combat. Basically, you make up whatever you want, you know, you describe it, you spend two action points, and then you choose from a list of potential tactical benefits um, and they, they're basically, uh, are you going to force an enemy to move? Um, are you going to get a bonus to your attack, which is like aiming? Um, are you going to debuff an enemy, you know, possibly with like, you know, knocking them over or something like that? Or are you, uh, dirt in their eyes or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. E- exactly. Or are you going to try to cause them to completely lose their turn, right. which, you know, could be anything, you know, co- causing them to completely lose their turn, you know, started out as, a way to simply and easily simulate grappling. Um, but then, you know, I was like, well, why couldn't it also be covering fire when you're, you know, laying down suppressive fire with a machine gun? Or, you know, why couldn't it be that, you know, you try to blow up a generator and cause them to get electrocuted so they're so stunned they lose their whole turn? Um, 
So that's where the whole gain advantage system came from, which again, you know, it's more like fate where there's effects you choose from and then the, what your character actually does is up to you and the, the description you make of what it is determines which attribute you have to use to see if you're successful. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, so yeah, it's kind of like a mix between, you know, this highly tactical system, but with a limited number of actions and a more designed for effect approach where, um, yeah, you just, you know, can pull off cool maneuvers, but you know, it's up to you to make up what those maneuvers are. Okay. Uh, sounds fun. Uh, I assume that's worked out pretty well in playtesting then. Yeah. Uh, people, uh, people really dig it. They uh, get, uh, once they wrap their heads around it, they have a lot of fun, especially if they've um, played more design for effect style games before where, you know, you bring the flavor to the table and, uh, figure out how the rules describe it Mm -hmm. yourself. So, you know, if people have played a lot of fate or stuff like that, or they wrap their head around it really quickly. And, um, yeah, people, uh, especially like uh, non-combat characters who, you know, don't have a high combat attribute, so they're not good at attacking, will be, you know, they rely heavily on the gain advantage system to help their party members by slowing down enemies and debuffing them and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so the in the average game, uh, the player characters are, mer- are essentially, uh, what is sharpers, I think they're called? Uh, yeah, yeah, sharpers. Uh, is the term for the professional, you know, adventurer type. Uh, and they're just trying to earn uh, a paycheck. Is, is that sort of the campaign structure? Take jobs until they can afford enough, uh, until they're, they're wealthy enough to retire? Or is there, are there other sort of campaign models, uh, that you have for, uh, Synthesize? Well, the, uh, the core campaign basically starts off with the assumption that you have a spaceship and guns, but you're starving. <laughs> That's a good place to put player characters, you know, Yeah. work for your dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, food is more expensive than bullets to the point where, um, I have a lot, you know, uh, a couple rules about tracking food and food is relatively expensive. Mm-hmm. And I have zero rules for tracking ammunition because it's just assumed if you need it, you can get it. Okay. Um, because that's, you know, it's a post-war society that's completely collapsed, so there's just weapon technology everywhere. Right. And, you know, food is rarer. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's it's about acquiring wealth and then, you know, the, the problems and enemies you make along the way and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of trying to, you know, rise above the chaos but creating more problems for yourself. Like, I don't know if you've seen the TV show Peaky Blinders. Uh, but- I'm aware of it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would say that's like a perfect descriptor of, you know, where I see a lot of these going is, you know, you're poor, you're destitute, you're dealing with a corrupt social system. Uh, you figure, why not, you know, do something a little corrupt yourself to grease your own palm and help yourself out. And then you just end up biting off more than you can chew. Okay, that's cool. Um, you also mentioned uh, earlier on that there are some other uh, unique uh, attributes to the system, including some automated GM tools. Yeah, so, you know, GMing is often the hardest thing, and some games, they design them to have no GM and share the load, and people have different responsibilities, and um, I figured, you know, I would want to go, since, you know, I was still probably, you know, more in an, you know, old-school vibe, um, I wanted to still have a GM, but I didn't want his job to be very difficult. Um, I didn't want them to... Uh, have to go through manuals and manuals to build an adventure. But I didn't also want to have to publish millions and millions of adventures to, you know, to take that job out of their hands either. So I wanted to, you know, still give them the opportunity to create something, but make it easy on them. So uh, what I did is I created um, these generator tools uh, like the NPC generator, where uh, you go to the website, you go to the tools area, you go to the NPC generator, you click a few boxes, uh, like what level you want the NPC to be, um, what general type of NPC you want them to be, and then you select uh, if they carry a weapon, and then you select if they have a special power. And then um, it auto-populates all their attributes and their loot and everything. So basically it's like um, uh, make create your own monster manual, one monster at a time, you know, and it's only like a, you know less than a minute to you know make the selections to design the the monster or you know npc i see uh yeah i'm looking at it right now yeah this does uh, certainly looks like it'll take a lot of the grunt work out of uh generating some of the yeah doing some of the uh legwork that uh, gms have to do this is on synthesize rpg uh dot com did you design this yourself did you program this yourself or is this uh 
it, it was a, a team effort. I did the grunt of the programming, but um, I got I had zero knowledge about JavaScript or HTML or anything when I knew I wanted to make it. So uh, I got uh, some relatives who work in uh, computer science and web design to help me out, oh. and uh, they built the initial they built the initial structure and taught me some basics. And then from there, I just went to town and you know made all the powers and did all the math for all the powers and you know kept play testing and modifying. So, um, like, how it looks is uh, my brother-in-law is a um, web page designer, so he knows a lot of CSS and was able to make it pretty. Yeah, um, it's, it's a very nice-looking website. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, also, yeah, again, like, the art is also uh, excellent as well. Where, where, how were you able to get uh, – did you just find artists yourselves, or did you already know them, or – uh, I found artists and uh, paid more money than I could afford. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's how it kind of works out. Um, so, how long did it take you uh, develop Synthesize once you decided to start working on it? Um, it, I'd say, it took me a while. Like you know, I you know, it was almost um, seven years, uh, but not of constant working. I'd say of constant focused work, probably a good two or three years divided among that seven years, okay. and. Um, you know, when once you develop everything you want, you know the playtesting and the editing phase is you know can be so difficult and so oh, arduous. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm well aware of that. Um, we're I'm helping uh, Caleb, you know, one of the RPPR co-hosts with a game he's working on right now, and going just hearing him listening about all the editing and you know uh, writing gripes, not let alone layout and everything else. It, it's it's a, it's it seems kind of a Sisyphean struggle at times, you know. You're just pushing that oh, yeah. uphill forever. Um, and you used Kickstarter to uh, finance this, uh, or to for the um, uh, print run, right? Right. Uh, how, I, I, you, yeah. So tell us a little bit about like getting on Kickstarter and uh, using that. Like how how did that work out for you? I mean, um, obviously it was successful, but um, you know, did what did you learn about it, and how did you go about designing your campaign and uh, that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. Uh, it was successful the second time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's actually yeah, very interesting. So, what I, what happened? I tried to uh, launch it a couple years ago when the game was, um, I'd say, probably like sixty or seventy percent done, and I kind of had that you know er- early build philosophy where like, oh, you know, people are going to be excited about all this awesome artwork that I've been acquiring, and they're going to be excited about you know, a new sci-fi game they could play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just, you know, put it out there and try to build it into this big thing. And then, you know, I'll, I'll finish the game as much as possible, um, you know, in the process of delivering it. And uh, it, I even, you know, had this, you know, crazy idea that I wanted to do a, a line of miniatures because it's grid-based combat. So, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if you could have, you know, synthesized branded miniatures on your table that are like, you know, look like the, all the artwork that I'd been paying for. Um, and yeah, that was just biting off way more than I could chew and way more than the public wanted for a brand new thing they'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you know, the Kickstarter didn't succeed. I ended up, you know, canceling that and then, you know, uh, kept working on the game and, you know, had a couple other, you know, life crises along the way and stuff that kind of got in the way of, you know, getting it back right away. But, you know, a couple years later, I had the game. Uh, basically, 100% done, but not edited because I am a I am a terrible proofreader and editor, and I'm gonna you know I'm, I tend to be more honest when I'm promoting than I should be. <laughs> but yeah. I uh, uh, I still wanted people to see how big the game was, so I had released um, the full draft of the rules, excluding a couple special rules that I was reserving for the final edition. And, you know, put that up and uh, got it out there and started promoting it and started playing it at conventions and started getting trying to get people excited about it. Um, I'd say um, playing at conventions was the biggest uh, driver of getting people interested in the game. Mm-hmm. And then having, you know, a free, basically, it was pay what you want, like a free copy of the game people could download. And um, I got, you know, a lot of response from the free version of the game. Um, again, you know, I hadn't paid for, you know, full round of editing yet, the free version, so I got mixed response. Like, some people just loved the system and loved what it was about and loved playing it and loved testing it, and then other people were like, oh, you know, you've got typos on this page and typos on that page and 
stuff like that. So, you know, those people didn't end up backing, but people who were excited about the system, uh, people who were excited about the system, uh, when I finally la- launched the Kickstarter the second time they joined up. And uh, something interesting is I'm beginning to find, you know, I thought the video would be a really big deal. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my good friends from high school, uh, you know, I'm not from the L.A. area, but um, both of us ended up out here, and I am out here doing board games, and he's out here uh, doing cinematography. So he um, basically, as a fair, was like, I want to make you a really awesome Kickstarter video. And uh, so we, like, put our heart and soul into trying to make, like, this really cool, awesome video. And I knew a little bit about animation, so I took a lot of my artwork that I had and, you know, animated it and, you know, sort of, like, you know, slightly 3D Ken Burns style and stuff like that. And we intercut it with, you know, you know, these beautifully shot interviews and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I thought that this video was going to be really awesome and really sell people on, you know, this game. And uh, for a long time in the campaign, I had more backers than video views. (laughs) Like, yeah, like, I don't know what it is about tabletop RPGs or Kickstarter in general, but um, it just... You know, it seemed like the video really didn't convert many people, and it was people either like read about it or had played it and decided to back it, or that was it. Like they didn't want to watch my three-minute commercial and decide whether or not to back. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. I think it varies per project. I think uh, tabletop RPGs are probably the lowest because it's like they're they're the least visual game. I mean, everything is is audio. You know, people talking. Uh, you know, with dice, uh, but I think uh, for a board game or a card game where there's physical components to the game, I think that would vary. I mean, but that's an interesting uh, observation. Um, certainly, uh, in the past when I've done Kickstarters, that we've done videos, but that's more out of a sense of obligation uh, than anything else. They were kind of like, uh, I guess we have to have one. It's better to have one than not. But yeah, that's, um, and I think it varies per time too. I think as Kick, like maybe a year or two ago it was different than what it is now like kickstarter's audience kind of changes over time uh certainly like your audience changed over time you know going from your canceled to your successful project um do you think your first canceled project helped uh, boost awareness of uh Synthicide? oh yeah um i definitely think a large number of my backers were returning backers from the canceled project that were like oh this is coming out you know i was backing you the first time and so i'm gonna back you this time now that you have a more developed product and a more realistic goal you know so um yeah in in a way the failed kickstarter was promotion because it you know got people aware that synthesize exists yeah uh and uh yeah, that's about all I have to say about that. <laughs> uh, no, Kickstarter is definitely a marketing opportunity, if nothing else. Um, I know there are some games that have been out there that have been on Kickstarter just for the marketing value alone, uh, and whether or not they get enough money to to finance the game. Uh, but this game, the, your Kickstarter campaign was to finance a print run of it, um, I, I, I assume. Um, yes. What are your uh, – and now those books are what, – what, what's their status? Their status is I have all the final uh, files, and mm. I've been working with the printer trying to get them to send me the um, okay. invoice for the de- for the deposit so I can transfer the files. <laughs> okay. So uh, it, it should be starting printing this month, and then uh, you know, a couple months later they'll be in transit to uh, uh, all the backers and you know potential new buyers. Cool. Uh, have you lined up any distribution for it yet, or will people just have to get it from synthesizerpg.com? So I haven't lined up uh, who my retailer is going to be, but my distributor is going to be uh, Magpie Games. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, they yeah. uh, they certainly help a lot of uh, RPGs. So you're going to be uh, at Gen Con this year, I believe. Uh, yes. Do you have some events lined up? Or are you are you planning to run some events for it? Yeah, I have uh, four sessions of Synthesize that are going to get registered that I'm going to run. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm going to be uh, doing a panel on accessible game design. Oh, okay. Because um, that's something I'm uh, passionate about is like, you know, even if you want your game to be deep and have lots of decision making to it, you, you know, it can still be beneficial to present it in like the dumbest, simplest way possible. Okay. Uh, could you go more into that? Like, uh, I mean, obviously, having the attributes and skills sort of combined with a few talents is one way of doing that. What else um, have you learned about accessible game design through Synthesize? 
yeah. So uh, one of the things I do to increase the accessibility of my games, um, which not everyone um, you know likes this, but some people really dig it, is um, I really uh, put a harsh divide between um, mechanics and story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, for example, in a chapter that holds a bunch of really important mechanics, you're not going to read very much story. Because the mechanics are going to be uh, organized in lists and bulleted, uh, you know, bulleted and numbered and you know, bolded and uh, broken up into sections and subsections, so you can quickly reference and find what you're looking for. And once you get there, the only thing that's going to be written is going to be a description of how that mechanic works. You're not going to, you know, see a whole lot of fluff to kind of like get you excited about the game world. And then uh, the game world itself uh, exists in its own chapter, where it's like, well, you know. Now that you know how the system works and here's the universe you're interacting with. Um, And some people really dig that because they like how quickly they can learn what the game is about and quickly they can learn how to play it. Um, Some people feel like it makes uh, learning the game a little dry because they don't get the excitement. And that's, you know, why I invested heavy in artwork because if you're reading boring rules, at least you have, you know, sweet pictures to look at. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's also got a very clean design. There's not a lot of text... I mean, there, there's a good amount of text per page, but it's not like, you know, how some RPGs are very dense in terms right. of text, uh, but this is uh, fairly light, very easy to get through. Um, that's an interesting topic. Um, I hadn't thought about that. What what sort of, um, and you kind of hinted at this earlier before, but were there, was there anything else that kind of like, oh, I really need to make my game more accessible, you know, or is there, I know like with some RPG designers, they have a bad game experience and I was like, I've got to fix what this game has not done right, you know, like you were talking about with the uh, D20 spaceship combat uh, and multiple actions. Was there anything, was there any sort of similar moment for like, I need to make games more accessible? Um, um, you know, I can't think of a specific moment. Uh, I think it was just, um, I have a, uh, a design education mm-hmm. and as part of my, of my design education, they were always just drilling us, you know, um, cause it was graphic design mm-hmm. and in the world of consumer based graphic design, everything is keep it simple, stupid, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, you know, it's like lowest common denominator and, um, you know, not because people are stupid, but just because people are busy. People are focused on other things. And the more quickly someone can absorb what you're trying to do, the more likely they're going to be interested in it. Um, and so, uh, and then, you know, that's uh, critical to, um, you know, my day job of making children's games. I have to make them very accessible, like yeah. to the point where, to the point where it's not just, how I present it, like what I'm allowed to present is strictly limited. Like I only have a palette of a few mechanics I can even use because, you know, you know, it's a six year old who, you know, doesn't really know a whole lot about games, doesn't have a vocabulary of game mechanics to wrap their heads around. Yeah. You can't really introduce like a drafting card mechanic from the Binions or something like that. That would be a little, uh, over their head probably. Or I don't know. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. You know, like it would actually be a challenging as game designer to create a game that anyone, including like a six year old could grasp and also enjoy and have fun with. Um, so that that's a really interesting point. What kind of mechanics are sort of used for these uh, uh, Disney Princess games? I guess they kind of <laughs> roll and move. Uh, yeah, roll, yeah, roll and move plus one special rule is, is a really common formula where you uh, come up with one special thing that they may not have done before in the game just so they do get some new experience, but then the rest of it is roll and move so they're not overburdened or not um, confused. Uh, search and find is really common because, you know, kids play I spy and stuff oh, okay. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, trying to look for things, um, uh, re- relying heavily on luck is common. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always try to put at least one element of choice in my games to so say I'm doing a roll and move game, which is very much luck based. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, very often I'll still put like a split in the path where there's a high-risk, high-reward path where you might move faster or you might, you know, lose your turn, and then there's a low-risk, low-reward path where you're always going to make progress, but it's the longer way around. Mm. Um, and, you know, I tend to, you know, try to put at least that in there. And that, even that is above kids' heads. Like, when we play test these games with children, a lot of them don't realize, like, oh, this shorter path is riskier and this longer path is safer. They just... But they still have fun making that choice, even though they don't realize the implications of the choice. And then as they get older, they grow into it and uh, understand the implications a little more. Um, 
but yeah, you know, you do you end up doing a lot of path games. Uh, something else that's really common um, with children's games is um, uh, button mashers, because uh, kids love to watch things move and go crazy, and it's even more fun where you know there's a game attached to it. Um, so like if you like Hungry Hungry Hippos is oh, like a, yeah. a perfect kids game because. You just keep mashing the button, and then they eat marbles. And if you mash the button the fastest, and through a combination of speed and luck, you get the most marbles. You're the winner. <laughs> you know. Um, so you know, there's lots of you know stuff like that that you know works great for kids' games. Um, cool. And then uh, action reaction. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's really difficult to sell electronic games, but electronic games open whole new avenues of um, mechanics you can use because the game verbally or visually tells you what to do mm-hmm. and then you just do it and if you do what it told you to do correctly you win um you know and that's you know like everyone remembers bop it you know that's what yeah. bop it is and uh you know that, those sorts of games can be um you know really really popular with children you know even like electronic puzzle games you know like simon you know can be you know oh, where yeah, it's just yeah. re- you know repeat after me you, you can start to do a lot more elevated gameplay um if you're able to sell them like either a video game or an electronic toy, uh, just cause you can be there to, you know, through the, all the upfront design you did, you're able to, um, moderate their experience and introduce them to how it works, like in the right order. Interesting. Uh, so designing synthesize might, might've felt kind of, I get, did it feel kind of like more of a vacation? Like, Oh, I can use all kinds of game mechanics and I don't have to limit it to just two things. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> Um, I, I, you know, even, you know, a vacation in the sense that, you know, I was able to employ, you know, band-aid design techniques, like, you know, a lot of RPGs, you know, I tried to limit it, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't want to have pages and pages of exceptions. Yeah. Um, but a lot of RPGs, you know, they build their basic system and then there's something their system doesn't really cover or isn't balanced correctly for. So they uh, write like a little rule, a little addendum rule as a band-aid to fix that one right. area. And players are used to that and put up with that. Yeah. You can never get away with that in a mass market game. It's just not, not, a, not a choice. Um, so, um, you know, I had, you know, a couple addendum moments. And, um, you know, f- uh, for example, um, you know, I, I uh, wanted people to be able to buy their way into being good at things, but I didn't want uh, to create a runaway math where like, Oh, I buy this really advanced weapon. Um, and then I'm already really good at fighting. So the two of them together means I'm unstoppable. You know, that's, that's the risk you can run. Um, so I was able to do, uh, like a bandaid where, um, you can buy a weapon that on its own is awesome, but you have to decide, am I using the weapon stats or my stats? Oh, okay. So, yeah. And so that way, um, you get the aspect of, you know, people can buy this awesome weapon that makes them better at, um, you know, fighting, but the people who are already really good don't get a whole lot of benefit from it. Right. Because right. it doesn't stack. It's yeah. Okay. And, you know, like the removal of stacking, you know, as a Band-Aid mechanic is a beautiful thing in role-playing games that mm-hmm. is uh, really makes designing much simpler. Um, I, I feel like the need to go on uh, in too much detail. I do want to clarify um, the way my game works. Uh, weapons are additive and weapons always improve your ability to hurt people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was just one specific aspect where, like, um, you could... Uh, basically, you know, you always use a weapons attributes plus your combat attribute, and that's how it works, and that determines how deadly you are. Um, and uh, but I wanted to add the ability for people who have bad combat attributes to basically buy their way into a good combat attribute. So that's the aspect where you can buy these like computer modules and stuff that you put on the weapon that then give the weapon its own combat attribute that you use instead of yours. Oh, okay. So an yeah. bot essentially. Um, yeah. Okay. That that's actually a very cyberpunk way of doing things. Um, that that's very thematic as well. So, um, but what what do you think of the future of synthesis? Assuming it does well, you know, it, it finds a fan base. Uh, people start you know playing it on a regular basis. And um, what 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 would you like to do next? 
or I mean, is the next thing even a, a synthesized uh, follow-up, or do you have another idea? Uh, well, there's a few things in the works. Um, uh, I've been approached, oddly, uh, a friend of mine makes video games, and he's a really big fan of the synthesized universe, mm-hmm. so he's uh, already optioned it to try to make a video game based awesome. on it. Yeah, so, you know, while I'm still, you know, uh, driving up the runway and trying to take off with just the role-playing game, he's already like, you know, dude, I have an audience. I can find an audience. I just wanted a story, and I liked your story. So he's going to make, you know, a video game based in the universe. And then, um, you know, that's probably, you know, a few years away before it'll come out, you know. um, Can I ask what kind of video game it'll be? Or is that still in the works? Or or is that sort of NDA'd? that is still up for debate. You know, I know what I would want it to be. <laughs> a role-playing game? <laughs> yeah, you know, well, it's going to be a role-playing game for sure. Yeah. Um, that's what the guy makes. He worked okay. on, He worked on like, uh, Wasteland, and um, he worked on, his name's um, Montgomery Markland, and uh, he worked on um, uh, Wasteland 2 and worked on um, uh, the Numenera role-playing, uh, computer role-playing game that came out mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And uh, but I want it to be um, kind of like, you know, if XCOM had more story, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, actually, you know, your, your the whole action point system did actually remind me of the original XCOM, which have time units, you know, to rotate. And, you know, you could have a guy fire multiple times. Uh, the new XCOM, of course, is more board game like, where it is move and shoot or move twice. But in you know the original '90s XCOM, you had time units, uh, and you could spend one time you to rotate your guy 90 degrees, or you know, uh, just five time units to crouch and everything. It was very or fire eight times in a row or whatever. Um, so yeah, so that's cool. Um, yeah, obviously that'll be cool uh, if he can develop something uh, a really cool game with it. Um, but you you said there's some other things coming out. Yeah, um, there is a. Uh a uh, French fellow who wants the French rights to synthesize, <laughs> which again, you know, I, you know, I, I'm too honest, I guess. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm, you know, just now requiring an audience and you already, you know, <laughs> think, think there's a market for it in another language. Like, you know, p- people who speak English barely know about me. Um, but yeah, so there's going to be a French version coming out. And then, um, I'm talking to some terrain companies, uh, to make uh, cyberpunk themed terrain, like uh, like paper pop up paper pop up terrain, oh that yeah, people, the paper craft kind of things. Yeah, that people could uh, buy to bring to their game table and uh, you know use for their tactical fights. Mm-hmm. Um, miniatures, uh, something I want to do, you know, but that's such a high investment area and such a high risk area that it's going to be a long time before I do that. Yeah, you kind of need to. It seems the most successful ones are ones with like uh, full games uh, behind them. You know, like Kingdom Death, they have a, a game to go with all of those minis they put together, uh, and they do very well. But like the game, the the minis, well, like a a, a, a minis specific game. Like this is a uh, not a not a role playing game. Um, you know, right? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, high risk, high reward. You know, but high risk. Uh, yeah, the challenge. Um, cool. Um, so no, no specific plans for supplements yet? Uh, no, cause I, I am really of a, uh, mixed mind about supplements cause I don't like splat books. I don't like when, um, I don't like power creep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are, um, those are natural results of striving for player powers, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, what's the point of providing new player powers unless they are, like, really radically diverse and crazy, which adds complexity to the game, or better than the old ones, which then makes power creep. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure what additional content I'd want other than um, story and possibly um, maybe mechanics for new situations, you know, like if you wanted, you know, to track, you know, how you know, armies interact with each other or, you know, a more advanced space combat rules or something like that. You know, the core of the game about players going on missions and, um, you know, dealing with lost technology and criminal underworlds and all that, like that is exactly the way I want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of loath to mess with it, but, you know, growing the world, making the world more detailed, you know, like campaign setting type books where I might choose a planet and really dive into everything there is to know about this planet or, um, 
yeah, or additional mechanics that, you know, could change how you play the game. You know, that's the direction I would go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I still haven't wrapped my head around, you know, what I want to make. Okay. So you, you, you're not sure what you want to write next. Uh, right. You might even be a different... Have you thought about maybe doing another game after this? Uh, a different one? Uh, yeah, I really... You know, I have lots of ideas for games, but, um, you know, between having a full-time job and wanting Synthesize to actually be played, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's going to take, all, you know, all my time just trying to, you right. know, support it. Um, so I, I don't think, you know, I'll be coming out with a new game, you know, next year, you know, maybe in a right. couple years. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, like, you know, I have lots of little story games I've worked on that I might flesh out, you know, like... Mm-hmm. You know, one was like a anime-inspired space racing game, and the other was this like inverse hell diving game where instead of your characters getting stronger, they just keep getting weaker. Um, but uh, yeah, those you know, sorry to tease those; those won't come out anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I also have a lot of games that I want to work on. I don't know what I'm going to be working on next. Uh, cause you know, got to support you, the stuff that's already been published and that the promoting and marketing is very much its own, uh, full-time thing. It's just as demanding as creating the game in the first place. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, thank you. Uh, uh, any final, uh, words for us before we, uh, in the interview? Uh, uh, just that, you know, uh, the views expressed by Dustin <laughs> depending are not necessarily, you know, law. Um, yeah, I like my games simple and I like them accessible, but I'm not poo-pooing on people who like Burning Wheel or anything like that. Um, you know, that's a total fun and valid way to play. That's just not for me and not what I what not what I'm trying to design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, are there any quick start rules? Or uh, I know I see there's a preview adventure on the website. Or but uh, yeah. Yeah. The the preview adventure has uh, all the core rules. It just doesn't tell you how to make characters and doesn't tell you how to advance characters. Okay. And doesn't and doesn't have um, like spaceship rules either. It just basically has the raw combat okay. rules. So you can download that for free and uh, try that out. Uh, and if you like it, you can get the full game, which is available now in print or a PDF and will be in print uh, sometime this year. Hopefully in time for Gen Con. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, Definitely be out before Gen Con. Great, great. Uh, well, thank you for talking to us, Dustin. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll talk to you next time on RPPR. So.